one thing I really, really liked about going to high school where I did was the CAPS program and it gave me the opportunity to um, have some hands-on experience for what I actually wanted to do and kind of solidify that idea of is education the path for me? Hey, hey, hey everyone. Welcome. Welcome back to the network. Your podcast, our podcast, everyone's podcast around profession-based learning, all things CAPS, CAPS Network, all the wonderful things in the world, uh, whatever you want it to be, really. Uh, that's what we're doing here. And uh, it's always fun to be plugged in and able to visit with you all and bring you super interesting voices from across the globe, really. Um, and this morning, super excited. For those that are regular listeners of the podcast, you may recall a conversation that we had gosh, would have been about a year and a half ago with a young lady named Megan Fuchs, who was a teacher ed student in the Alexandria CAPS program in Alexandria, Minnesota. And if you did listen to that episode, I probably don't have to refresh you too much because it was a fantastic conversation about how you advocate for yourself. And uh, Megan had quite a story. I'm going to have her come on here and help us relive it a little bit, but her self-advocacy led her into a dream situation for her, and uh, she's now out in the great state of Connecticut, and uh, anyway, Megan, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little while since we visited. <laughs> yes, thank you. How the heck are you? I'm, I'm really good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Yeah, so we had a chance to chat. Uh, the story goes that we actually met when I came up to visit the Alexandria Caps program up there in, uh, gosh, northern, well, not northern, really. It seemed northern from the Twin Cities, uh, north, about two hours north and west of the Twin Cities up in Alexandria, uh, Minnesota, and got to hear from you and your passion for the Caps program and in particular the teaching profession. And you got some practical experience there. But then uh, after that, we had a chance to bring you on the podcast, and you shared this amazing story about uh, kind of not let not taking no for an answer. I guess is what I would say. Can you refresh our memories as to what I'm what I'm talking about here? Yeah, yeah. So I had applied to a couple different colleges. Um, I had gotten to I got accepted into all of them except for my number one, which was the University of Connecticut. And my dad had flown me out uh, with about a week's notice to go to admitted students day at the University of Rhode Island. And when I got there, I just, I couldn't even picture myself going there. Like I knew I wanted to be on the East, but I didn't want to be in like at that university. So with a day left of my trip, we went up to the University of Connecticut and I talked to a staff member there who had, was a major part of admissions and I talked a little bit about my CAPS experience and why I wanted to be a teacher so much and why I wanted to go to UConn. And during that meeting, he had put in for my acceptance. And so I was able to go to the university. Yeah. And uh, I highly advise, if you didn't hear the original episode with Megan, go back and find it. Um, because her kind of longer form storytelling around that experience was quite something. Um, I was going through all of the roller coaster 
of emotions. <laughs> I felt <laughs> like I was in the room with her um, experiencing some anxiety, some kind of terror, <laughs> the <laughs> jubilation eventually, right? And uh, man, oh man, what a what a story. So you are now, I think you're actually coming to us from the university. Is that right? I am, yeah. yes. You got your second year started. How, yes. how is it going? Has it met your expectations? Because you were really excited to go out there. Uh, oh, everything I ever could have wanted and more. It is such a beautiful campus. My professors are absolutely wonderful. I just started classes for my um, program. So I can't do any of the teaching classes for like the program itself just because I haven't been I haven't gotten into that yet I apply in the fall but I there's one like prerequisite class that you have to take that's like based around uh, educational psychology is what the uh, course is called and it's basically us talking about um how teachers should be formatting their lessons and how students learn best in um, classroom layouts everything that's pretty much what we've covered so far in the three days I've had the class but it's, it is very, very fascinating and I absolutely love it. And then I picked my concentration. So I get to take all of the classes that I want for what my concentration area will be. So it's been, it's been so fun. And what, what is your area of concentration? So my licensure is going to be kindergarten through sixth grade. And then if I were to teach sixth grade, my concentration is mathematics. Okay. Well, there's always a need for, for great math teachers. We know that for <laughs> sure. And K-6, tell us more about uh, why you're focusing K-6 and how, how you got to that decision. I've always just had a draw to like that age group. Like I've, I couldn't see myself teaching any other like group of students. Like that's just always what I've wanted to do. And when I did the CAPS program, that was the group that I focused on with the most was I had some experience with third, fifth, fourth, and fifth grade. I was with a English, like, a sixth grade English class for a couple weeks, which was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. But I did a lot of um, math, like math tutoring during that time, which was absolutely just phenomenal. I really liked it. And then this summer really just confirmed it for me because I started working. Um, the Alexandria School District has a, a summer daycare program called Compass. And so I got to work as a group assistant with a group of kids this summer, which was absolutely just fantastic i love those third graders <laughs> <laughs> well I, what i love about your story and and this idea of kind of how you got to this concentration it reminds me of being in college myself and you know of course the question is always okay what are you going to major in and then and then the question the next question pretty soon after is are you going to stick with that major <laughs> because <laughs> you know a lot of a lot of people it still happens i think it happened more back quote unquote back in the day uh, was you went to college to find yourself, right? That was kind of the thing it was like, well, I'll figure that, you know, I've got time. I'll figure this out when I go to college. And, and, and that's fine to an extent, but what tends to happen is you, you dig into something for the first time in a real way, not until you're in college. And, and then you start to realize, oh, but sometimes, lots of times you realize, oh, this isn't exactly what I thought it would be. This, is, this doesn't feel like something that I truly want to do. And and the issue becomes, do you have alternatives that you think could be something else you'd be interested in? And if if those things aren't as closely aligned to what you just tried, you can feel a, quite a sense of anxiety. It's like, no, oh, my absolutely. gosh, I'm kind of <laughs> lost now. I don't know what to do. And I mean, I, I experienced that 
I went from, actually, I went from declaring a math major entering undergrad to thinking education was for me to then deciding, oh, no, that's not it. And going into political science. And then I ended up in economics. And I mean, I was kind of all over the place. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was quite an adventure. But, but with your story, I like how it's grounded in your own experience, that you're not like throwing darts at the dartboard. You, you've had these experiences and tell, maybe refresh us a little bit on uh, going back in time a little bit. When you were doing the teacher education strand at Alexandria Caps as a senior in high school, like what, what were the things that you were experiencing that helped you validate what you are now doing? So that last chunk of time during the CAPS program, I got to work really, really closely with one group of kids. And it was, I was in a fourth grade classroom and I absolutely loved it. Um, the uh, cooperating teacher that I was with, she was so, so nice. I still keep in contact with her actually. Um, and she would give me little breakout groups that I could do with the kids. And I would get to teach little mini lessons every once in a while. And it was I did. I couldn't picture doing anything else. It was just so fulfilling. It is so absolutely just incredible. That's awesome. So I wanted to ask Megan. You have a unique perspective, as uh, you know, you're you're a Generation Z human being, right? So you you're you see the world a little bit differently than someone like myself does. You're newer to the industry of education. You're just starting your journey. And there are these really big, hairy, audacious challenges that are impacting the industry of education right now. One of those is a nationwide teacher shortage. And, and some of it is, do we have qualified people that match up well with the need, the demand in different subjects or at different grade levels? Some of it, though, in certain pockets and certain districts and certain schools is just like we need it's sad to say, but it's like we we just need warm bodies like we don't have enough humans to truly support students. And I'm wondering if if you've thought at all or if you can maybe um, share any initial insights that you have related to things that we may want to be thinking about as it relates to attracting more young people to put their energies towards the teaching profession. Any thoughts? Yeah. So I've, I've actually had this conversation with quite a few people, not just in Minnesota, but here in Connecticut. And then I have some family in Jersey that has asked me questions about it as well. One thing I really, really liked about going to high school where I did was the CAPS program. And it gave me the opportunity to um, have some hands-on experience for what I actually wanted to do and kind of solidify that idea of, is education the path for me? And I think giving students that opportunity to actually get that hands-on experience will help them to get a better clarification of, is this what I want to do? And not just jump ship and go into a four or five year program. And then at the end just go, maybe this isn't for me, but now they have, a, like, they have a major that they don't necessarily want. So I think giving them the opportunity with this hands-on experience is just, I think it's so important for them to have and for them to at least give it a shot. For sure. I, I, I agree with that. It's interesting to me because on the one hand, there's this bigger 
challenge that we just talked about just related to like how do we get talented people to think about going to the profession and you know i think the the first thoughts are well it's a marketing exercise <laughs> it's it's communicating the need it's there's some technical things that can be done you know to put the opportunities in front of young people give them actual experience but then the other place that my mind goes and i've had some some conversations of late with others in the ecosystem that are thinking through this is the is the approach that we're taking once students are engaging so let's say we've got you know and Megan you're not a great example cuz you're so fired up you've already done a lot of the work and you know, <laughs> you know for sure this is for you but let's say one of your colleagues who's entering in to uh, and going to be involved in uh, education major and going for a certification and and all that that you meet there on the campus that maybe hasn't had that level of validation or experience in high school gets involved in a teacher prep program a uh, you know a certification program and isn't inspired or doesn't feel like the mode by which the curriculum is being taught or this is how you teach doesn't seem to match up with you know your expectations or what you would like to see a classroom look like how many people are we losing because of that or the other alternative is how many folks are we training up that don't have that practical experience that are effectively being taught how to teach you know in a classroom 20 years ago as opposed to what a, we believe a classroom can look like and feel like in something like the caps model that tends to be more student driven experiential hands on so i don't know any, and and you haven't gotten into the depths of kind of the work of a being in a teacher ed program and i'm i'm i know the yukon program is fantastic i'm not trying to generalize here but any any thoughts around like how to approach getting teachers prepared that would be more aligned to students leading and being active in kind of their own personal journey. Any, have I really you thought think, about that much? Yeah, I really, I really think it just comes down to experience. Like I know a couple people here on campus that are going into education, but they don't have the same experiences that I do. And so they're, a little unsure if maybe if this is the path they want to do or if they want to do something else. I really, I believe that it comes down to letting students have the opportunity to at least test it out and kind of just format what they want to do. And so giving them that hands-on experience is I think really crucial, especially early on. Like I was, I was think like I was lucky enough to be able to have that experience my senior year of high school to really solidify like, okay, before I go into college, I know this is what I want to do. This is where I want to be. But most people, like, it's really like sad to say, but they don't get those hands-on experiences until they're in grad school. And mm -hmm. so now they're like four or five years into this program and they don't know, like they're like realizing once their um, like internship starts, like, I don't know if this is for me. So I think giving them the opportunity to try like, the student teaching experience early on is really it's going to be the most beneficial thing because like you can learn like they can teach you everything in a classroom and they can it's nothing what you learn in a classroom it's nothing like the actual job 
yes, some of it does apply, but it's not, it's, you learn most of what a good teacher is by hands-on experience. 100%. I, I'm going to shift a, a little bit here. And, and I just, I want to ask a question because this, this comes up, it's coming up more and more. And it's, I'm going to get you a little bit out on the edge of kind of what the thinking is now in terms of what the biggest disruptions and the biggest impacts to education are going to be. Uh, I would argue potentially we could say it's happening already, but definitely into the future. So I'm wondering if you've thought much or what your opinion would be of what you believe the role of artificial intelligence will be on the teaching profession. What, what are the implications? What do you think? I know you're focusing, you know, K-6 and potentially looking at mathematics, but knowing that, you know, things like chat GPT are currently available what, what do you think? Because we, we hear, you hear like both extremes. You hear people say, well, gosh, this is going to just make some of the things that we used to teach really hard because we're going to have to police chat GPT to make sure that people aren't just getting kind of free answers to things or writing papers for them. On the other side, you hear that the humans that will win and be relevant in the future will know their role and what they can do, but also be able to bring AI along with them. What do you, what do you think it's going to do to the teaching profession and how would you, how do you envision leveraging AI or managing AI? So I know at least at the university level, they really, really have to police like that chat GPT thing. Cause a lot of, it's really sad to say, but like a lot of students do use that. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of online sources for like getting free homework answers and getting just, anything that makes it so like they don't have to put in the extra effort um at the elementary level like the um summer program i was working through um we really didn't we didn't allow our students to have like technology in front of them the most we did was um i believe the program was go noodle it was um something just for them to get up and move around and the kids really seemed to enjoy it but at least from a teaching standpoint, I think that AI is going to be something that becomes a little bit more prominent. Um, teaching, at least at the elementary level, like it's that's never going to go away. Like we're always going to need like, another human being there to like educate, because kids aren't going to learn the best from a like from a laptop. Like that's just not beneficial to them at all. My summer kids we give them YouTube videos on how to make like a little bee lizard or something of like, sometimes like uh, we would do math. And then if like what we were trying to explain wasn't the most clear, we'd offer them like an online tool to use. And it was like a little game that could maybe explain it a little bit better than what we could. So I think having that is like, like having a technology tool is beneficial like in the classroom, but I don't think like it's never going to take over like what, it, what a teacher can do. No, I appreciate that perspective. And, you know, I, I think there are no easy answers to kind of what the approach is. It does seem like I like your framing of, you know, there are tools that can be leveraged because I do think AI already is an extremely powerful tool. The question is, how do you use the tool and what's the what's the motivation and and so is it being used to prompt your curiosity 
to drive you further ahead and accelerate your you to a place where you can go even further or faster around your idea? Or are you using it as a supplement to what maybe, you know, you, you could learn on your own or should learn on your own? Um, and is that going to somehow inhibit you in the future? And um, most of these big, hairy, audacious challenges end up landing in the gray area, right? There is, it's not one or the other, it's somewhere in between. But hearing your perspective is, is definitely helpful. Um, okay, I've got two, two more questions for you. One is what you've had enough experience now being uh, in the classroom and working with young kids in the summer. If you had to pick one aspect of teaching, what is your favorite part of teaching? I really like being able to have those one-on-one connections with the kids, like just going around the classroom and just having like small talk with them and getting to know them each individually. Like that is just so, it's just so fulfilling to me. Like I love getting to know each of the kids and just building that bond and just like seeing it grow over time. Like it's just, there's nothing like it. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you for, thank you for being a part of it. All right. My final question to you, this is going to be my, my off the wall question. <laughs> you you just finished your freshman year college. You're starting your sophomore year. And uh, I'm I'm trying not I'm not I'm not going to get you in trouble here. I don't think, but I would <laughs> love to know because I reflect back fondly on my freshman year of college and just how unique of a time that was in my life. What would you say was the most fun moment you had on campus your first year? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> um, I So UConn is a really big sports college. Yeah. And I don't know if like if, if um, a lot of the listeners know this about UConn, but we are a big basketball college. And Absolutely. so the night of the championships, I had all of my friends over in my dorm room and we were just we had a bunch of snacks and we just watched the game. And the instant, the instant that that final buzzer rang and that it was for that UConn has won championships. There's fireworks going on outside and just hearing everyone celebrate was just so there. It was, I've never experienced anything like it. It was really, it was genuinely really cool. That's awesome. Well, what a fun place to be. That's terrific. Well, Megan, thanks so much for taking the time. It's, it's wonderful to, to uh, have you back on to hear your voice again and to hear that things are going well for you. Um, I know that the entire caps network is, cheering you on. Uh, we can't wait until uh, we get you back into a classroom and, and get you in there for good, because we know you're going to make an amazing impact on the lives of young people. And we wish you all the luck in the world as you continue your journey. Thank you, Corey. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, folks, another great conversation. Uh, we absolutely love our alumni and uh, it's always fun to chat with them. Uh, a reminder for those that don't know that we actually have a CAPS Network alumni impact report, uh, which is really interesting stuff. Um, data from uh, around 1,100 former students um, talking about kind of where they are in their journey. Uh, the, they describe their experience when they were a part of CAPS. They reflect back on it. They talk about all the various durable skills that they developed and the confidence they developed and we've learned quite a bit about how they've matriculated uh, in their experience through post-secondary institutions and into the workforce. 
and so uh, definitely uh, hit up the Caps Network website and and check that out. Uh, but anyway, for the re- for all of you, thanks for joining again. Uh, the tipping point is near in education. We feel it every day. You're the reason. Thanks for all you do. And we will talk to you again soon. 